Words of Hope. Father Dominic Faure talks about the mystery of Mary and the dignity of women. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, and at the hour of our death. Saint John, the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We wanted during this short talk this evening to to see how the mystery of Our Lady helps us better understand the dignity, the goodness, the beauty of the woman. And it seems that it is it's especially important today when for different ideological reasons there's so often a misunderstanding of this dignity. And sure enough, Mary, as the fathers of the church, looked at her already in a certain way prefigured in the Old Testament. The woman is already shown, for example, in the book of Genesis, as the masterpiece of the creation. Remember that in the book of Genesis, especially when we look at the second account of the creation, we see God working as a potter and then as a surgeon, first creating Adam and then after that completing the creation by by Eve and fathers of the church looking at this act of creation like the act of an artist underline that in an artistic work the artist is usually first doing a sketch something which is a rough preliminary work and then only at the end the masterpiece Underlining that in the creation, the woman is probably the masterpiece in a certain way what finalizes this creation. And you remember that in the book of Genesis, we see how God entrusts to Adam, the king, a Control of the creation by his work, while to Eve, to the woman, is given the mystery of fruitfulness. She's the one who is called to cooperate with God in the gift of life. And Eve was very aware of it when she receives the first son. I have received a son from God. She doesn't say, she doesn't say from Adam. Then, when we look at the end of the revelation, 
the book of Revelation, the book of the Apocalypse, it's interesting to see, I was going to say in a negative way, the radical opposition, the radical hatred, in fact the radical disfiguration of the mystery of the woman by the devil. The devil, we see that in the, in the chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, the devil has an essential hatred against the woman. He will do whatever he can to destroy it. And remember, in the chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, we can sense the, the reason of this hatred. The woman surrounded by the sun is giving birth to a child. She's the woman mother. And the devil is furious against this mediation of life because he himself has no fruitfulness whatsoever. The devil doesn't like Adam, that's for sure. But in a certain way, he hates even more Eve. When man is tempted to use his power to, to transform, to work, the devil understands this efficiency. But when the woman can give life, then the devil is lost. The devil can still be very efficient, and in fact much more efficient than us, but he has absolutely no fruitfulness. And we see in the book of Revelation these regular, these constant disfigurations of the woman. She's the prostitute. She's the Babylon. She's the one who is totally spoiled by the cup of wine of her sins, of her prostitution, and where in the intention of God she's supposed to be source of life where in the intention of God she's supposed to be educating Adam in love the companion leading him to discover to the end his vocation to love then she becomes the prostitute she becomes the one who is in a certain way a radical obstacle to love and we see clearly in the book of Revelation that now that the woman in Mary is glorified, protected by God, the devil cannot do anything against her. But because of this, the hatred remaining, he chooses to, to spoil with his hatred, all the offspring of the woman. And the offspring of the woman is the church. 
when we look at the mystery of Our Lady, we see definitely a masterpiece. And it's important not to water down the mystery of Our Lady. If we want to appreciate to its fullness the dignity of the woman, she is indeed mother, but it's clear that Jesus looks at her as the woman. Remember in Cana, you remember at the cross, you remember in the chapter 12 of the Apocalypse, the woman in the sense of the first, the principle of the new woman we created as Jesus is the man as Pilate presents him to the crowd this is the man because he's indeed the principle of the recreation and Our Lady the whole mystery of Our Lady masterpiece the one who receives the fullness from the cross is eminently and essentially a mystery of fruitfulness. Saint Thomas Aquinas doesn't hesitate to say that all of us, by grace, are predestined to be in glory. But Mary has a different predestination. She's the only one who's a different one. She's predestined not only to be in glory, but to be mother of God. And remember that there was a council, the council of Ephesus in the early church, at a time where there were a lot of disputes on the mystery of Christ himself. Was it really the person of God with a human nature or was it a superman or was it God pretending to be man and you know that the early church was trying to find the fine line theologically speaking in order not to diminish the mystery of Christ and in Ephesus council of Ephesus it's impressive that the church, in order to, in a certain way, put an end to those disputes, Christ is fully man and fully God. Fully God and perfectly man. In order to, to put an end to this dispute, the Council of Ephesus uses Our Lady. She is the mother of God, which is obviously a unique mystery. We don't really understand how can a creature be mother of the Creator? How can a creature carry her own Creator? And when we accept 
that Our Lady is not only the mother of the human nature of Christ, but that her motherhood touches the person of the Son of God. In that sense, he's mother of the Son of God. Then we understand that there's an incredible proximity between her and the Father. At the moment of the Annunciation, Our Lady really receives in her all the fruitfulness of the Father. She is one with the Father in a motherhood. She is one with the Father in his fruitfulness over his own Son. The one who has been created in time becomes one with the Father who from all eternity lives a fatherhood on the Son. And when St. Augustine and then St. Thomas look at this mystery, they acknowledge that this motherhood, which implies a motherhood according to the flesh, Jesus received all his flesh from the flesh of his mother, nothing from Joseph. That this motherhood is first of all a contemplative one. She conceived in her heart before conceiving in her flesh. And as immaculate, she was the one who could be the perfect good soil not losing anything of the light, the word that the Father was sending, was giving her. At the moment of the Annunciation, Our Lady accepts the word of God to possess her in faith without any special experience that in her poverty, in her humility, she accepts to be filled full of grace with this presence of the Word of God taking possession of her intelligence, taking possession of her heart. And obviously she lives it in total poverty because clearly And we see that in the Magnificat. Our Lady accepts that she is an extremely poor vase receiving a fullness, recognizes that the dignity that she has received is pure mercy from God. She is the guardian of this mystery of mercy. And what is important is to recognize that Our Lady, in this fruitfulness, was constantly led towards a greater and greater mystery of fecundity, towards a greater and greater fullness. And we see that at the cross, where after being one with the Father, source of the Son, 
she becomes one with Jesus. She becomes mother of his church. She becomes the one who has this unique mission to be co-redeemer, co-redemptrix. And it's important to realize that when Mary is mother, when Mary receives all the fruitfulness of God, she is acting with not only the dignity of a mother, but at the end, the dignity of a priest. You know how much in today's church there has been and continues to be a debate on the priesthood. Was the intention of Christ to reserve the priesthood to men? Was the intention of Christ to extend it to women? And behind this debate there might be an error as if the sacramental priesthood was an end in itself and therefore like a dignity which was taken away from the woman while clearly the sacramental priesthood implies a power the power to forgive sins the power of the Eucharist but it's a power which remains a service and Jesus underlines that it is indeed a service which demands to be exercised in poverty the washing of the feet and it's a service like any service it's a means for something greater if we receive the Eucharist if the priest has the power to forgive our sins it's not an end it is so that we can receive the fullness of life we can open ourselves to more and more life and this fullness of divine life we see that in the Holy Trinity is the life of God and the life of God is substantially a life of fruitfulness God is eternally source source of the Son and the Father and the Son one source of the Spirit the life of God is a mystery of fruitfulness and the woman is guardian of this mystery of fruitfulness and if Jesus has wanted some of us to have a power it's the power given to servants when you have done all that you were supposed to do accept that you are still a useless servant and the power given to the servants is at the service of the woman because it is at the service of the fullness of life it is at the service of the fullness of fruitfulness and we see that in a certain way clearly at the cross when 
it is only after the death of Jesus that in fact the end the finality of the cross is achieved Jesus is already dead when the victory is fulfilled Jesus is already dead when his heart, his side is pierced so that life can overflow from the humanity of Christ it's impressive that all the graces that humanity have received from Adam and Eve to the last man flow from the heart of Jesus pierced flow from the humanity of Christ dead it's impressive that any divine life that man has enjoyed and continues to enjoy comes from the humanity of Christ dead thanks to our lady because clearly when Jesus dies and when his heart is pierced Christ cannot offer himself this last modality of his holocaust he's dead he cannot be priest at that moment and the one who has to exercise the office of the priesthood the one who has to offer this ultimate blow to the humanity of Christ so that it can be ultimate source of victory ultimate source of life is Our Lady she's the one thanks to whom the sacrifice of the cross finds all its fruitfulness she's the one who's standing at the foot of the cross allows the sacrifice of Jesus pierced in his side to be fruitful of this fullness you know that the early church very quickly understood that with the water and the blood flowing out from the heart of Jesus in fact manifested the gift of the sacraments and baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit and who is mediatrix for this ultimate gift the woman it's the role of a mediator, the role of a priest, that the church has understood as being the royal priesthood. And the church underlines that the sacramental priesthood of some of us, as important as it might be, with all the dignity that it implies, remains a means, a service, at the service of this royal priesthood we see that the priesthood of man there is so that the woman can fulfill her vocation can therefore be perfectly mediatrix of all the fruitfulness of God and when we look at our lady and therefore this unique vocation she is the mother of God She's the one who 
who allows the fruitfulness of God to be offered to all men. She is therefore an essential element. She is not the source, but she is immediately second to the source, the source being Christ. She is immediately second to the source for this fullness to be given. Mary has a unique role. And sure, it could have been done otherwise. It has pleased God to save us that way. It has pleased God to give us access to him that way. It has pleased God to give us access to this fullness that way. Maybe at the foot of the cross, in a mediation, mediatrix of all those graces flowing from the heart of Jesus. Mary as co-redemptrix doesn't add anything to the source. She's not the source, it's Christ. It's the Holy Trinity using the humanity of Jesus. And nevertheless, she's mediatrix. This fullness of life has to flow to us through her. This fullness of life demands to flow through the heart of Our Lady. And then we understand what Jesus means when he speaks of the good soil. What Saint Luke means when he says that she was keeping everything in her heart. Maybe is the good soil receiving all that Christ offers. And like the good soil, it bears hundredfolds more. Maybe it's the good soil so that all that is received from God in her is given back to us. And there she's perfectly mother. She's mother in total poverty. She's perfectly mediatrix. She doesn't keep anything for herself. In a certain way, the role of the person of Mary is turned together towards the source, Christ, and towards us. All that she received from the source is given to us. It is there that she perfectly exercises her motherhood. Mystery of incredible dignity, unique. Mystery of perfect fruitfulness. Mystery of perfect mediation. But all this lived in absolute poverty. And you know that a saint, Saint Maximilian Mary Colpe, was extremely attentive to the mystery of Mary, especially in a dimension of her mystery, of her beauty, her Immaculate Conception. Saint Lucien Colbe was extremely attentive not only to the dogma, but to the words that Mary used. The dogma was telling us, and therefore the official church was telling us that Mary was conceived immaculate. And in Lourdes, towards Bernadette, Our Lady corrected the theologians, or rather demanded from them to go deeper, 
She didn't present herself as being conceived immaculate. She presented herself as being the immaculate conception. And you know that Maxine Colby, as a Franciscan, spent nearly his whole life trying to understand what she meant. Why did she speak that way in Lourdes? And why did she speak that way in Lourdes? Not to theologians, they were not there, but to a poor little girl who didn't understand anything. And she was constantly repeating on her way to the bishop because she was afraid, so afraid of losing anything of what the lady had said. I am the Immaculate Conception. Maxine Kolb was shocked because in saying this, Our Lady was speaking like God himself. How can a little creature speak as if God was speaking? Because clearly, I can say as a creature, I love, but I can never say I am the love, because I am not the source of all love. I can say I am in truth in what I am saying now, but I can never say I am the truth, because it would mean that any truth would depend on me. How could Our Lady go further than what the Church had said? She was not only conceived immaculate, but she was the immaculate conception. As if she was a source, as God is a source. And you know that Maxine Colbe, because of this, contemplates not only Our Lady, spouse of the Father, not only at the moment of the Annunciation, not only Our Lady, spouse of Christ at the cross, but also the woman in an extreme proximity to the Holy Spirit. And Saint Maxien Colbe doesn't hesitate to say that Mary is in her mystery indeed the created immaculate conception while the Holy Spirit in the Holy Trinity is the uncreated immaculate conception. Both of them are the perfect immaculate fruit of the perfect exchange of love between the Father and the Son, one in an uncreated way, the Holy Spirit, the other one in a created way, Mary. And Maxine Colbe there contemplates that this unique proximity of Our Lady not only because of her mission to be the mother of God, not only because of this new mission to be the mother of the church, but by personal grace before any mission is indeed in the intention of God definitely a masterpiece of the creation because she's the closest bridge in the creation
between the creation and the mystery of the fruitfulness of God in himself. Then, obviously, this mystery is unique. Obviously, it is there that we best understand why God made them man and woman. It is there that we better understand the intention of God in bonding together a man and a woman, something that St. Paul in a different way underlines when he asks husbands to love their wives, men love your wives, as Christ loves his church. And I think that's important to realize that we cannot understand the role of Eve without Adam. But in fact, more than the natural bond of love, this natural education in love that Eve offers to Adam, we cannot in fact understand the role of the woman, the role of Eve, the role of the womanhood, unless we look at this bond of love, this mystery of unity between Christ and his church. The church is the fruitfulness of Christ and the woman naturally is the fruitfulness of man and demands to be at the service of the fruitfulness of Christ. Then we understand this hatred of the devil. He himself has no fruitfulness and he cannot understand not only he cannot accept, but he cannot understand that a little creature can be elevated, uplifted to such a dignity while remaining so humble. Because for the devil, any uplifting implies a possibility to dominate. Any dignity implies a personal glory. And our lady is the opposite. The more she received, the more her dignity blossomed out, the more she discovered the intention of God on her, the humbler she became, the poorer she became, the more she understood that she was only for the glory of God. And it's not by accident that this unique privilege, she is mother of the church at the foot of the cross, makes her not only one with the three persons of the Holy Trinity in their fruitfulness, but also gives her a unique proximity with the mystery of mercy. She is, and that's an essential attribute of Our Lady, she is the mother of mercy. She is the one, and maybe that's an essential role that she plays at the cross. She is the one who allows, in her mediation, who allows this divine life coming from God towards us to unveil 
all its merciful modalities. She receives all from Christ. She receives all from the heart of Jesus. And this fullness of life unveils in her heart all its modality of mercy and therefore all its gratuitousness towards us. And you know how Our Lady has always now at a more practical level and therefore starting from our needs has always been understood and received as mother of mercy as refuge of the poor and I think it's important to realize that in the intention of God the woman has definitely this role she is the guardian of the mystery of mercy she is not the source it is Christ and obviously she is naturally disposed towards it a woman by nature is disposed to exercise mercy because she is disposed by nature towards a little one her child to offer beyond justice she is disposed to offer a modality of love totally beyond justice in a certain way the child doesn't have yet any right cannot properly reciprocate the love that he receives but the mother has to give her love in an unconditional merciful love a mother who would not be this type of mother capable to give constant mercy to a child would not be a good mother she would be a monster in a certain way and it's obvious that naturally the woman is disposed so much more at a supernatural level she is the good soil yes receiving all so that the fullness of mercy can be received and therefore she is an instrument guardian of this mystery demanding justice demanding the truth but nevertheless showing that whenever the truth is there whenever justice is needed it is always so that mercy can overflow and that's very important when we look at the mission of the church in a certain way what St. Paul reminds us of in the epistle to the Romans when he tells us that the law was a law for sin to reveal us our sins so that we could receive mercy and that's very important because in a certain way the church the church of Christ and the church of the woman continue the same mystery the church continues to present the truth the church continues to present all the demands of justice every time the Holy Father speaks on secular matters social justice question of life it's always the truth which implies a justice or when the church speaks about questions of faithfulness in love divorces all those are matters of truth and justice 
but it's not in order to condemn. It's in order that mercy overflow. And that's really the mystery of the church coming from Our Lady, coming from the heart of Our Lady. The truth is given, justice is presented, not for us to be perfect, not for us to follow the law, not for us to follow whatever regulation. All this is given because this is the truth. And the church has to remind us of the truth so that we can receive more mercy. That's very important because, again, the devil so often disfigures the church at that level and accuses the church of being only an instrument of justice, accuses the church of not understanding the need of the poor, accuses the church of a certain hardness towards the weaknesses and the failures of man. How can the church be so hard at the level of the questions of life? How can the church be so hard towards homosexuals? How can the church be so hard towards certain needs that man cannot control? There's no hardness in the church. Maybe men of God can be hard. But the church as a mother is never hard. Maybe the way we present it is rough. But the church as a mother is never rough. And the church continues to present the truth, even if it hurts us, even if it shows us even more our limits, even if it shows us even more our sin. The church doesn't try to hide so that mercy can overflow because it has pleased God to give this fullness of life to the mystery of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who discover this wisdom. We have discovered this wisdom where the last will be first, where those who are maybe the weakest, maybe the poorest, and thus being first, because they have received the most mercy. And the woman is guardian of this order. I was going to say, already at the natural level, in a healthy relationship between husband and wife, in a healthy relationship within a human family, I was going to say, instinctively, the mother is guardian of this choice of mercy. She has, by nature, nearly by maternal instinct, she has this special attention among her children to the weakest. She has this special love for the last one, the little one, the poorest one. That's connatural to a maternal love while often and as good a man will be more attentive to the perfections that he can develop in his children a woman will be nearly more attentive to the imperfections and we need both understanding that it's not 
the perfect which finalizes the imperfect in this new order it is the imperfect which finalizes the perfect meaning that it has pleased God to use what was most imperfect and St. Paul was so aware of it in order to give us a fullness so sure enough the role of the woman is so essential there when we accept to respect this new order and sure enough again there might be a terrible disfiguration in today's society where the woman becomes either an object at different levels or even the sign of a new efficiency a new sign of power and when the woman pretends to exercise a power this is so much against what is deeply inscribed in her all this obviously comes from a major confusion in us The woman doesn't have to exercise the power. The woman can do much more than that. She can exercise an authority. At the cross, Our Lady has no power whatsoever. I was going to say, for the very simple reason, that Jesus has no power. He has lost all his power, has crucified. And in a certain way, the last moment he has used this power was before when he gave the Eucharist and therefore when he used all the power of the Creator in order to give this final gift but this gift of the Eucharist using the power of Christ is still a means while at the cross there is another gift that we mention the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not a means it's a person of God himself And it's impressive to see that for the ultimate gift, Jesus has no power. He's dead. And who remains at that moment, Our Lady. And Our Lady has no power. She's the mother of the crucified. But she has an incredible authority. She's mother of the church. She has this full authority to be one with Christ, leading the church to the end. And she exercises her authority as a mother. And I think it's so important today to be clear and maybe to help others be clear that there has been so many ideological disfigurations of this dignity. You know that somebody like Freud, psychologist, sees in the Father a major obstacle for the growth of his children and therefore for Freud it is good to kill the Father but the devil was not satisfied by this disfiguration and the disciples of Freud go further another obstacle to the growth to the freedom of the child is the mother the mother also has to be killed because the mother is there possessing the child the mother is there exercising a love 
which prevents the child to be fully himself. What a disfiguration of the mystery of human love. What a disfiguration of the holocaust that any mother has to face. She has to give herself unconditionally for the sake of the child. And what a disfiguration of Our Lady. Our Lady is perfectly mother, perfectly instrument of the fullness that Christ offers in absolute poverty. And in a certain way, the more God has demanded from Our Lady to be a source, to be a mediatrix of life, the more he has demanded poverty from her, from the Annunciation to the cross, from the Immaculate Conception to the cross, Mary has never stopped becoming poor and poor. It is indeed when she is the poorest that she can be the perfect mediatrix of life. When she has nothing to offer, she has lost everything at the cross. She can be the perfect source for us. I think you, you see something similar, and that's really the instinct of a woman in the little flower. That's why she's so important, and she should help us so much rediscover the beauty of the woman as a doctor of the church. When she acknowledges that the best way to be who she should be is to have nothing. The best way to help others is to have nothing, to be empty hands. The best way to be instrument of life is to have no life to give. The best way, therefore, to exercise this maternal responsibility is to be a pure capacity to receive in poverty. Then we understand, or then we rediscover, in Thérèse, and hopefully a re-education of many, we rediscover in Thérèse that the radical dignity of the woman is indeed to be mediatrix of life, but that this radical dignity demands a radical holocaust. She has to be the poorest of all the creatures in order to be able to be perfectly what God needs to use in her. And we can, in a certain way, guess this when we look at the book of Genesis. The one who stands on his two feet is Adam. Eve, in a certain way, has nothing for herself. She comes from the rib of Adam. She's totally relative. The mystery of the woman is a mystery of poverty. She has to accept this poverty. But sure enough, in modern cultures where poverty is an evil, then we don't understand anything anymore. We have lost this truth of looking at poverty as a good. We have lost this truth of discovering, of proclaiming the dignity of poverty. And in Mary, in the woman, 
we discover the fullness of this dignity of poverty. Blessed are the poor, the kingdom is there, and it's a kingdom of life. Blessed are the poor, they can be perfectly mediators of life. Woe to you perfect, you sterile. Blessed are the poor, because they can exercise this mediation of a life which doesn't belong to them, empty hands. So the woman has such a role to play. Yes, she's mediatrix of life. I was going to say in spite of herself, by nature and by gratuitousness of God. But she has to proclaim, and I think it is as important to proclaim the dignity of her fruitfulness, the dignity of life, she has also to proclaim the dignity of the mystery of poverty, especially today. Life is extremely attacked, we know that, but poverty is extremely attacked because life is extremely misunderstood and poverty is extremely misunderstood. And that's the role of a woman. She's the one constantly reminding us how good it is to be poor, how good it is, as Saint Thomas says, to be as poor as possible in order to become a perfect instrument. You know how when Saint Thomas Aquinas looks at the different qualities of an instrument or the different qualities of a mediator, he considers that the first one is poverty. Efficiency, poverty, and obedience. And the woman, yes, obeys. Women, obeys your husband. Such a scandal today. Nearly a tragedy. While the quality of an instrument, to be poor, to obey, to be efficient, so that the fullness of life can be offered. And I think it's important that the woman there has the courage to proclaim this intention and to remind man that he's only the king of the creation. He has only meaning in the creation if he accepts to be at the service of a mystery infinitely greater than him. And this mystery infinitely greater than him to be servant of the life of God. He finds it first of all in the woman.
I'll stop in case some of you have some questions. Yeah? The, when we say mother of God, she is the mother of the person of the son. She is not mother of the person of the father. And the person of the son is God. That's the whole mystery of the Holy Trinity. So you don't understand? I don't understand either. <laughs> But that's a fact. She is mother of one person in the Holy Trinity. And this person is one with the father and one with the Holy Spirit in their common divinity. Don't ask me more than this. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Efficiency, I means to be qualified. Not efficiency at the level of work, but qualification for your finality. A woman has to be qualified and protect what in her is this eminent dignity to be mediatrix of life. Like uh, uh, totally different. Like a man has to to has to to protect the quality of the instruments that he's going to use as an artist, for example. He's responsible for the talents. Huh? Yeah. I cannot hear. What 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 do you mean when you say? It means that the, the mystery of the incarnation is first of all a grace of contemplation before giving her flesh to the word of God in the person of the word incarnate. She first received the fullness of the second person word of God feeling her spirit in what St. Augustine says, an, a perfect act of contemplation. She opens herself totally, intelligence and heart, to the person of the word, so that she could give him her flesh. Again, don't ask me more than this, because I don't understand better than you. Yeah? What I said is that at the foot of the cross, all the life flowing from the heart of Jesus is offered to us through Our Lady, for the very simple reason that she's the only one at that moment. Huh? Uh, that's why the, the fathers of the church like to say that at the foot of the cross, the fullness of life is in Our Lady, the fullness of hope, which is the fullness of life for her, is in Our Lady, 
and that the church is conceived in the heart of Our Lady. The fullness of the church conceived in her, even if the birth of the church takes place later at the moment of Pentecost. Okay? In the same way as you have already in the seed the fullness of the tree, even if the tree is not yet fully mature. Okay? So, at the foot of the cross, Our Lady receives this fullness, and this fullness of life given by God to us is always a gift of mercy. Our Lady can only be mediatrix of this fullness, which is always a fullness of mercy. In front of God, none of us has any right. Whatever we receive from Him is always a gift of love and of merciful love. Tell me if it's not clear. <laughs> Meaning, you have to think, right? Yes? Yeah? Yes, yes and no. Yes, sure. But be, be aware that we don't attract God by our goodness because our goodness comes from God. <laughs> but God choosing to love us gives us a goodness attracting Him. <laughs> so don't ask me more than this either. <laughs> The, the merciful love of God was constantly attracted by the littleness of his servant. But this littleness was coming from him. That's always the problem. <laughs> yes? No. Yeah? Yes. The distinction between power and authority. And the power that you have is to transform. You have a power on matter. You have power to, to, to dominate. While authority is at the level of life, you have an authority when you can allow, let's say, a human person to fulfill his life, to reach the finality of his life. So Our Lady doesn't exercise power on us, but she is with us, helping us reach our finality, which is to be in her son. Okay. Shall we stop and pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.